0: When I was four years old, an interesting event happened. I'm dating myself and doing this, but it doesn't matter. When I was four years old, there was an event that happened that at that point meant nothing to me. It was something that happened that I thought was a big deal. To me, it didn't really register, but my parents certainly thought about it. And a lot of people across America thought about it because on October 4, 1957, the Russians put up an artificial planet, we might call it called Sputnik. And suddenly, people across America were going, What happened here? We thought the Russians were way behind us, and suddenly, you could go out at night if you weren't away from the, where there's a lot of lights, you could see it going around the world. And if you had the right radio, you could listen to it beeping. It was only 28 inches in circumference. And yet, people realized we entered in a whole new world at that point. And so out of that came, of course, the space race. And remember Kennedy said, we're going to try to put a man on the moon. And it started that whole thing. And that was a huge time. Where before it had been baseball, baseball, baseball for boys, now it seemed to be more about astronauts. And you remember, a whole kinds of things with astronauts came up. Anybody remember the Jetsons? Yeah, okay. Lost in space. All these things related to that. And so it was interesting that suddenly things had changed. We realized we were going into a new era. The space race was on. And as you know, we won, which we're glad for that, glad for that. But it was an important thing, because we realized, look at the power that it must take, a Saturn V rocket you know, 7.5 million pounds of thrust to get that thing off the ground. And you realize that's a kind of power that's incredible. It's hard for us to even think about it. But what we want to do this morning is to talk about power. I like this picture. Some people don't like some of these older pictures in the areas. I like this one. This is like Christ victorious. And it's a good one for Easter. Christ is victorious over the grave. And I like that one because Jesus at least looks like he's got, he's not what he's doing here. Some of the early ones, he looks, Jesus looks so anemic and I hate to say it, kind of effeminate and, he looks kind of like nobody one would to hire that guy for anything kind of thing. That passage, I mean, that picture to me is like, wow, it's Christ victorious. He has come out of the grave. And because of that, Christ is victorious over the devil and through death and all that that goes with it. And so what we want to do for a little bit of time together this morning is to deal with this issue of power. Because what we're going to see is power goes right through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. And we're going to be focusing on a little narrow area, mostly in the Gospel of Mark. And we'll look at that a little bit later. But it turns out, it's interesting. in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, there's a passage that's really important. Sort of sets the tone for where we're going with this. And that tone is simply this. It's reminding us Jesus was not just some kind of poor little wimpy guy being taken away to the cross. This is a guy that even though he was going to the cross, he was still in control. And so here's what we had Jesus said and we read about it in, this, in the Gospels. The reason is John chapter 10. Jesus is saying this, the reason that my Father loves me, is that, I, that I love, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus is saying, I may be going to the cross in only a few days, but it's not like they're going to be putting me there because I'm forced to do, be there. He's doing that because this is what the Father has asked him to do. And so he said, I lay down my life. They're not going to take it from me. I'm going to lay it down. But notice this, only to take it up again. I'm going to put my life there, and they're going to kill me. That's for sure. I've told you it three times. You've never gotten it straight any of the three times, but I've told you three times. And I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be resurrected. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Again, in the idea of not the wimpy Jesus who's waiting to die. It's Jesus saying, no, I'm involved in what's going on here. He said this, I have authority, talking about his life, to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so that kind of gives us the tone where we're going. And what I want to do is look at pictures of power and how that relates to where we're going in our passage this morning. and To do that, we want to look at what power is revealed, what that looks like. And we're going to look mostly in the Gospel of Mark and look at a couple caveats, a couple little pictures of how God works through people in terms, and particularly Jesus, in terms of the Gospel. Because we have this phrase, and just to give a little back in context, it said, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. We're going way back into the beginning. John the Baptist, of course, was a famous, everybody not everybody, but most people believed he was one of the greatest prophets. He was in some ways the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was calling men and women to repentance, to be dipped into the water as a sign of the fact that they have turned their life to God, that they want to experience all that God has for them. But, of course, we know there was a king who was not happy about it. When, when, uh, when John the Baptist told him, you're not allowed to have that wife, he took care of that real quickly by having his head cut off. So that's the context. After Jesus, excuse me, after John dies, it's kind of like Jesus moves into that spot of now being the premier person. who was now being God's person to focus on this. So look at what it says. Jesus came out. His focus was very clear. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Throughout the Old Testament, people had longed for that time when the kingdom of God was coming. Jesus saying, it's coming now, and it's coming in the future. You're going to experience a part of it now when you come to me. We're looking for the fact when I will come again after I die and I'm resurrected. And so he talks about that's where we're going with this. And so in one of these examples, for example, when we talk about power, it's one that came very early in the ministry of Jesus. It said, they, this is disciples, They went into Capernaum, kind of the place where he was probably spent most, in northern Galilee. Capernaum was a very popular place. And so he said, right away, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. Well, that's nothing new. You had lots of rabbis who taught. But what was different here, And notice what it says, they were astonished at his teaching, because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority, one who has power when he spoke. In Jesus' time at that point, most of the rabbis would say, well, you know, Rabbi Makula thinks it's this, but Rabbi so-and-so thinks it's that. And my great-great-grandfather thought it was this, but your great-grandfather was wrong. And they could go on for days, discussion, things. Jesus comes in and says, you know what? Here's what it means. Here's what it's all about. All your talking, all your, I can make it real clear for you. Here's what it's about right now. He had authority in his speech. He had power in his teaching where people are going, Whoa. I thought he was the carpenter's kid up in Galilee. And they're realizing this is a man different from anyone they have ever met. And so there's power and authority in what he does and what he speaks. and What you see here, now a second one that happens. They just come out of that thing and they see a guy with, quote, an unclean spirit, some kind of demonic force opposed to God. And so here's a real challenge. All right, Jesus, it's one thing you know, for you to do that with a person, but what about the demonic, that which is opposed to us? What about that unclean spirit? Who's going to have the power on this one? It's a power confrontation. and Of course, we know what happens with Jesus and what he does. But Jesus rebuked that guy, the, I would say that creature, whatever it is. Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him." And people are going, whoa. I mean, we had, they have people there that did exorcisms and often they would have certain things. They maybe have a certain amulet you had to wear and you had something you had to do with it. Or they say, now you have to do this. You have to go down to this place and wash five times and do this. And If you get something, somebody draws a little line around there and you spin around it eight times, That hopefully that demon will leave. And they had all these different things that they do to try to get rid of some of the demonic spirits. Not with Jesus. Jesus turns and looks and said, be quiet. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouting with a loud voice, and he came out of him. And once again, they go, whoa. Uh, Do you know anybody that can do that? No. Now, notice this phrase. And they were all amazed. Who is this guy becomes the same that keeps going through the Gospel of Mark. What kind of guy is this? that has authority in a teaching, authority over the demonic. Notice what happens in the next one that comes up. Now they've come to Capernaum, but Peter, Simon Peter, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick. I know some mother-in-law jokes, but I better not use that on Easter. We'll hold it for another day. But anyways, Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him, that is Jesus told them, about her being at, at, at her at once. So Jesus went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. Notice what happens. fever left her, she began to serve him. And once again, people go, whoa. I mean, most of all, we've all had a fever. You know, sometimes, you know, you get it. Half hour later, an hour later, a couple hours later, the fever is gone. But suddenly, you had a fever. The next minute, you don't. And you're saying, whoa, who has the power to heal a person instantly? in the way that Jesus does. You can see this kind of building as we go. As a fact, the powers are getting more and more difficult, more strange, and really more powerful to deal with it. And Jesus continues to speak the power that God has given him. And here's that strange one that many of you are familiar with. It's power, but it's with a surprise. It's the story about the four men who had heard about Jesus and how Jesus was healing people. And they wanted so much that they had a paralytic friend, they carried him to Jesus, and the problem was, you couldn't even get in the door. There's people all over the place. And you have to love these four guys, who they want so much to see their friend healed, that they climb up on the top of the house, I've always thought, wouldn't that be neat to see what's happening there? While Jesus is teaching, people are being healed inside the town, and suddenly pieces of the ceiling are falling down onto the ground. They go, hey, what are you doing? What are you talking about here? And they go, hey, you know, you won't let us in the front door. We're going to come out to the top. And they lower this guy down. Now, you can imagine what this mess is. And this guy, who's going to pay for all this? You am sure somebody who's an accountant there wanted to know who's going to pay for the damages. But the point is, what's going on here? And they said, listen, this guy's a paralytic. He's our friend. And you've shown that you've got power, like unbelievable. Would you do something for him? But notice what happens. Oh, i will move on here. Son, the fever left here, but notice this. They came to Jesus, and they brought a paralytic. When they came to Jesus, bringing a paralytic, here's what Jesus did. He did not say, you're healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Talking about getting yourself in a big lot of trouble, is for a person who's not God to say suddenly that you've got the power to forgive sins? Now suppose I said to Dara, Dara, your sins are forgiven. He could say, well, thank you, appreciate that. How would I know? I mean, you can't see forgiveness of sins. But Jesus said, okay, son, your sins are forgiven. They're going, no, that can't be right. We know he's not a prophet of God because only God can forgive sin. In that sense, their theology was correct. Only God can forgive sin like that. And yet Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. They're going, who's got the power to forgive sin? It's only God. And yet God does have that power. Jesus is saying, basically, you're right, because I am God, second person in the Trinity. He doesn't use it that form at that point, for sure, but that's his point. And he says, it's people saying, well, this guy must not be true, da-da-da-da. But Jesus goes this, but so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. In other words, he said, anybody can say that you're saying, nobody knows. He said he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Can you imagine what it would be like at that room when that guy stands up and walks out of the room? People must have just gone berserk. Look at that. I don't believe it. Can you believe that? He really did heal that guy. And maybe he is this Messiah we've been waiting for for generation after generation. Moving right on, the next one. Power with a surprise. As a result, all were astounded. They gave glory to God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. That's correct. No one had at that point. But here's one of the more beautiful ones, but also one of the more sadder ones. It's this next one, a picture of power. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. Many of you know the story of Jairus. He was one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. He came he went and he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet and he kept begging him. He said, my little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay hands on her so she can get well and live. It's interesting. Here's a passage. Many of us are parents. Many of us have had children. What would you not do to save the life of your child? There's nothing you wouldn't do if you had the power in you to do it. But this child is sick not just sick, on the edge of death. And so he's trying to get Jesus. Can you keep moving? Can we keep talking? People keep interrupting. Maybe you know the story about the lady that's having the bleeding, and they stop with that. And it's like if they had a watch, he'd be looking at his watch going, "Uh, you could talk with her later. She's been bleeding for 11 years. She can wait another couple weeks. But I've got a daughter who's about to die. Could we walk a little faster, Jesus? Jesus is in no hurry. And they finally get there and they find out it's just too late. What they found out is it's too late. Sorry, we got off the screen here for a second. Give me a second, we'll go back onto it. It's too late. <laughs> now we got too late. <laughs> but here's these parents. If I was gyrus, I'd be thinking, you know, if you quit talking and healing people on the way, my daughter wouldn't have died. And everybody says it's too late, she's dead. You know, when you're dead, they're dead, you're dead. There's no point of you coming here anymore. And I love this passage. It said, Jesus took the child by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And this, they were utterly astounded. And once again, people went, Oh my goodness. There's one thing about taking care of somebody's mother in law. It's another thing to take a dead girl who's been dead, and suddenly she's alive. It goes on It talks about how they hugged her, and they're so glad to have their daughter alive, and it was such an amazing thing. But once again, people are going, whoa, that's a power beyond anything we've experienced in our life. And what we see in this passage is power after power after more power, God bringing it, ratcheting it up in many different ways. Now we have, really, he's in charge of life itself? Yes, he really is. And now we come to almost the cross. And this is power not used, but unused. Where Jesus is standing before a group that are shouting, crucify him. Where Jesus knows he's got the power that for just like that, all the guys that hate him could be taken away, thrown away, gone forever. The chains that they put on him could be broken. And Jesus, again, going back to that early passage that we read, where Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, they're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. You're not taking anything from me. I am laying down my life for my sheep, for my people. So Jesus refused to use the power he had when it came time for him to give his life that we could have life forevermore. It's power, a different kind of power, It's power to bring us into right relationship with God. And that's what this passage is all about. It's telling us we have got a huge problem that we are incapable of doing it. He has the power, we do not. It means that there's a holy God out there that is totally holy, and there's us who are totally unholy. And the reality is there's this huge gap between a holy God and us who are sinners. We're all sinners. Saying, well, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, do sin, will sin, and will continue to sin. That doesn't mean we should continue to do it for fun or something. It's saying it's the reality of which we live with. And the question is how could people in stepped in sin like us have an opportunity to be with the holy God who's our Creator and our Lord? And again, this is where it all comes again to power once again. Who's got the power to do that? So there's only one thing that'll do, it, and it's the cross. The cross is the bridge between us unholy people and the holy God. The cross is the means by which God can take us sinners and say, you know what, you are forgiven. There's a famous passage in Romans chapter 3 that many of you know well, for all have sinned, not some, not a few, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We'll never get close to that. But he says, they, those who come to Christ, are justified that is declared righteous, not unrighteous, but declared righteous by God. They're justified freely by his grace. In other words, nothing you could earn. If you spent your lifetime trying to do nice things, good things, care for people, you could never get close to being good enough to be accepted by God. And so God said, I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm telling you is you can be justified freely. How? By his grace, undeserved grace, which you don't deserve. Think people like us who deserve hell and death instead are going to give life. That's a power that's unbelievable. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Another great word, the idea of rescue. They are being rescued from sin and death by what Christ has done on the cross for us. And that is, of course, at the very core, at the very core of what the gospel is all about, particularly in Easter It's asking people to say, where are you at? Has there been a time in your life where you know that you've recognized that you're a sinner? Where you recognize that your sin alienates you from God? Where you realize there seems to be no way that you could ever be with a holy God who is our creator and our king. And he's saying, you're right, you can't do it. But what you can't do, God can do for you. If you will be willing to turn, turn back and realize, I can't do this. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. There's nothing I could do to earn what God wants to give me. But it also means turning towards Christ, saying, Lord, you said your grace is free. You said that if I come, you will take me. Lord, I got nothing to bring. I have no resume. I'm just coming to you to accept your grace, your goodness to me. And if you'll take me, I'll come. And that's the question everybody in this room and people all around the world are asking today. Has there been a time and a place where you realize that our sin alienates us from a holy God? Has there been a point where you've understood that nothing you could do could earn what God wants to freely give you? And he'll do it graciously and joyfully to know that you have your sins forgiven by the power of God. And if you have never experienced that, if you've never come to that point, please come talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to somebody here, somebody who would love to be able to tell you more about what God is willing to do and what he's already done for you and what he's willing to do for you. And then if you haven't, the greatest decision, the greatest choice you would ever make would be to say, Lord Jesus, I'm just a sinner. I've got nothing on the resume. Would you take me? And the Lord says, Welcome welcome to my kingdom." And if you've not experienced that, come talk with us. We'd love to talk to you about it. We're talking about power. Power to bring salvation, to bring grace. But we often think about this only in light of getting saved, finding that relationship with God. But you have to have some way. of it. Is that the end of the story? It's not. Because it's saying, what Christ has done, what we could never do but that power of the resu- resurrection is so great that it's telling us, how does that imply, Im- imply all the, about all of us, our relationships, what we do? And it's very important It's saying, wait a minute. It's one thing to find out that your sins are forgiven, but it's just saying not only that, he has another gift for you, and it's called the Holy Spirit. What we are incapable of doing are now being made capable by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. You can't lose it. It's, God, it's right there, and it's saying, the things that you feel like I cannot do, I cannot love that person. Really? Maybe God, by his Spirit, can give you the grace to do it. I can't stay in this marriage. I can't take another five minutes of it. Okay. Maybe by God's grace, he could help you to be able to work with that relationship. See, it's not just coming into relationship with God. It's living a relationship with God. With God by the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit. And it's telling us this is what God has given us it's power for living, to give us the power to be able to share our faith with others, to be able to live a life where people say, There's something different about you, not weird, but different. And there's something there. I want to know about that. Why is it that? You seem to have joy when I don't. Why is it that you seem to, to know something I don't know about? Again, it's the empowerment of the Spirit that allows us to do that. It's power for relationship with God. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, said this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know, Lotus's phrase, the power of his resurrection. I want to know that. I want to experience that power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit. And, here's the part most of us don't like, and participation in his suffering. I'm glad that he added that, not like he cares what I think about it, but I'm glad he had that phrase there. I want to participate in that resurrection life, and I realize that may mean also suffering. One of the things you absolutely see through the life of the church for now 2,000 years is suffering seems to be the norm. And with the way our country is coming and going, I wouldn't be surprised if we start experiencing that. But once again, what do we do? Run? Hide? Or by the power of the Holy Spirit, whatever God has in plan for us, we know by His Spirit, by His grace, He's going to be with us. And we can rejoice. Easter is a time of rejoicing. Our Christ, the Lord Jesus, He is alive and well, and he is coming back. And with that, we have great hope. Father, we thank you so much that we could be here today to hear your good word. We thank you for Easter. We thank you that it's more than bunnies and things like that. We thank you that it's about the fact that the greatest thing that ever happened was the fact that, Lord Jesus, you came out of the grave. You're not a dead Savior. You're a powerful Savior and power to bring us into right relationship with you and to enable us to live a life that you can use to have an impact in the lives of many. Help us, encourage us, we pray as we continue in our singing and pray that you would help us as well, uh, Father, that we would be bringing honor and glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.